Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Matthew 5, 7 through 12. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as you know, our hope is to get through these verses tonight. We'll see how far we get. We see here where Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Now, I'm going to remind you of something I said a few Bible studies ago that I hoped I would get to it in that study, but I didn't. Some of you may remember that when we looked at mourning and grieving over our sins, we talked about how if we truly mourn and grieve over our sins, we really understand not only the fact that we're sinners and that we're poor in spirit, but also the fact that we're grieved over that. As we talked about before, there's some people say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but who cares? I'm going to party in hell with my buddies. You know, but there's a difference between realizing you're a sinner and also grieving over it. And when we talked on blessed are those who mourn, we came to the realization and I touched on, but we didn't get into it, which I want to get into a little bit tonight. That if we truly understand our lostness and our need for a savior, it makes us better at being used of God to be merciful to others in their sin. Go with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. We're going to break down this whole idea of being merciful in more detail tonight, but I want to kind of just lay this foundation for us. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. By the way, typically in the church, if someone sees someone caught in a transgression, what is their first reaction to do? Point, attack, accuse, condemn, gossip. Yep, but that's not what the Bible says we're to do. We're to keep watching ourselves, lest we too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test him, test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Again, the scripture is teaching, teaching us here that if you see someone caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. By the way, folks, you won't give mercy to anyone who's in sin unless you yourself have received his mercy. And we're going to talk about that. You see, realizing our brokenness and our fallenness and grieving over it is so that we hunger and it causes us to hunger and thirst for righteousness from Christ. And then receiving his mercy causes us to be merciful. If we're not merciful people, it's evidence that we haven't really received God's mercy to us, or at least not in full. Because if we give others no mercy, we set ourselves up as judge over them, and in doing so, we act as if we have no need of mercy ourselves. I I'm going to give you a quick test to show you whether or not you struggle with giving others mercy, and whether or not you have any trouble receiving it for yourself. Some of you have heard me use this illustration maybe in times past, but have you ever been driving down the highway, maybe going a little bit too fast, and you saw a police officer and you realized it was too quick for you to stop because the police officers know they've been trained. They just look for your hood to go down because when you step on your brakes in a hurry, your hood goes down. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but if you're going fast and you put the brakes on, your hood goes down. The police officers have been trained to look for that person whose car goes 
That means that person just slowed up real fast. Have you ever gone by too fast, realizing you were guilty, and then you looked in the mirror, and they let you go, and you thought, oh, thank you, God. Thank you for the mercy. You ever done that? Now, let me ask you that on that same drive, have you ever been driving just a few more miles down the road and someone blows by you and you think to yourself, I hope there's a cop up ahead. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? We really want the mercy of God on our behalf, but we have a hard time sharing it with anybody else. I-95 every day, you're right. But listen, I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 18 and let you read something that's sobering. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, the Pharisees had taught three. He thought he was going above and beyond. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times, or some translations say 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. By the way, if that were in today's numbers, that would be a gazillion billion. Seriously, that'd be a gazillion billion. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant, same thing, fell on down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Listen closely to what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that this guy was forgiven and then he lost his salvation and had to go to hell. What he's saying was, is this man was forgiven, but the evidence that he didn't receive his forgiveness and the forgiveness of the master was how he treated his brother. The Bible is really clear. Jesus died on the cross for everybody and he died for the whole world. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not, count, not counting men's trespasses against them. The message of the gospel, if you heard me say over and over, is not God's mad, but if you ask him, he'll forgive you. The message of the gospel is God loves you and he's already paid for your sins. And all you need to do is just receive the forgiveness that's already been offered. But listen closely, the Bible's very, very clear that how we treat others will show evidence of whether or not we've really received his forgiveness. There's lots of people that claim to be Christians who talk about how they're going to heaven and I've been forgiven by God. He forgave all my sins, yet they treat their neighbor as if they've never received God's forgiveness. They don't share that same mercy toward them and they judge them. They condemn them. They look down on them. I can't believe those people are living so poorly and so badly. I hope they get what they deserve. Yet here we say we've received his mercy. We've been forgiven a great, great debt. How could we not be willing to offer the same mercy? Remember, you just had the police officer not do you what you deserved. 
Why don't you share it with the guy that blows by you? And so be careful. Allow the Spirit to speak to your heart tonight as we take a look at this. Because the Bible is very, very clear. Those who are merciful will receive mercy. Actually, what Jesus is really saying is, those who are merciful to the people around them will have been given evidence that they're the ones who've received the mercy of God. Because it's not natural for any of us to show mercy to anybody. But if we're willing to be merciful, we must have received God's mercy. Now, not only that, as you're about to see, the Scripture shows us that God is a God of mercy, and His children will look and act like Him. Plain and simple. We're going to let the Scripture just speak for itself this way. But the Bible says that God is a God of mercy, and if we're His children, we're going to look like Him. We're going to act like Him. Go to Luke chapter 6. Look at verses 32 through 36. If you love, Jesus is saying, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This, as this passage, I was just reading it, I was reminded of something years ago when my wife and I were first married, and we were living on the seminary campus in New Orleans. Every day as we would go in and out of the campus, we would go by the president's house, which was right there by the entrance to the campus, and it was a big, brick, beautiful house. And we drove through the 85-acre campus to the back to our trailer. And I remember going by that president's house many a time thinking, I'd sure like to eat a steak inside that house instead of a hot dog in my trailer. So I told Becky, and she'll tell you it's true, let's invite the president and his wife to dinner at our house for hot dogs. Because if we invite him, he'll have to invite us in return to their house to return the favor, and maybe we'll get steak. I said that many a time. By the way, um, Jesus said, when you do something to get something in return, it, it exposes your motives, and that's no good. But he then goes on and he says, listen to the description of God again. For God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I've had too many people ask me over the years as a pastor, well, what if they haven't asked for forgiveness? I'm only supposed to forgive if they ask for forgiveness. That's not what Jesus did on the cross, is it? Were the people asking for forgiveness when he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing? No, you are to offer for this forgiveness. Jesus died for the whole world, even though the world, most of them were going to reject him. He still offered that forgiveness. It's up to them whether they receive it or not. You don't have the attitude to say, well, I'll wait until they ask for it. Folks, I'm just going to let the scripture speak and let the spirit speak to you. If you're willing to share this mercy, it shows that you have received it. If you're not willing to share this mercy, have you received it? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. I love how the scripture describes our God who's full of mercy. And how often do we say, oh God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 4 and 5. But God, by the way, how's he described here? Being what? Rich in mercy because of 
great, the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He died for you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Romans 5 says when we were his enemy, when we were powerless. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 7. Paul says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, and He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Folks, one of the things I've had to learn to do as a parent is to be softer on my kids as they go through the same struggles that I went through, they make some of the same tough decisions that I unfortunately made and maybe didn't always make the right way. It's easy for me, this side now of adulthood, to look back and act like, come on, stupid, how don't you know this? But then I remember when I was that age, I struggled with those same things. I had issues, I wrestled, and I have learned to be patient with my kids, believing that the same God who began a good work in Jim Johnson will finish his good work in my children who know him. I have started to realize that it's God who finishes what he starts. I don't have to berate them and tell them how smart I am and how stupid they are. I trust in the fact that that same God who was patient with me as I wrestled with these things will be working them through it as well. I give counsel. I give guidance when it's time and when it's not. I hold off. But I've had to learn because it's been real natural for me as a parent to just assume, well, I know so you should just listen to me. And sometimes God says, look, I was patient with you during those years. You be patient with them during these years. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His what? Great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who God, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Folks, are there people that when you watch television that you immediately because of their worldliness, because of their hatred of things of God, that you have a tendency to want to hate them in return. For honest, all of us struggle with this a little bit when we see the world living like the world. But keep in mind, the heart of God toward us during those times when we were his enemy, when we were apart, when we were lost, was mercy. He didn't give us what we deserve. And he was patient toward us, not wanting us to be, sa to be lost, but to be saved. Pray that God, who has given you this mercy, would have it pour out and spill out on the people around you. 
Too many of us think it's our job to play the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts of sin. We're supposed to just pour the love of God and the grace of God toward people and let Him do His work in their hearts. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, I can't say any more than what the Scriptures already said. The Scripture is very, very clear that those of us who have truly received the mercy of God, God's offered it to the whole world. Those of us who have truly received it and understand the mercy of God will be willing to share it with the people around us. As in each of these Beatitudes, there's good news at the end of each one. It said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Receive mercy. Now, they say, wait a minute, Jim. Um, didn't you say that it's because we receive mercy that we share mercy? Here it says, if we are merciful, we'll receive mercy. So which is it? Yes. Go to Matthew chapter 6. You're there in chapter 5. Jump over to chapter 6. Look at verses 9 through 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. The answer to that question is yes. We are to share it so we can receive it. But actually, you can't share it unless you've received it. You, by the way, that's the one thing about the law. God says, go be merciful. <laughs> Good luck. Because you don't have it in you and I don't have it in me. But when you try to be merciful on your own, you realize I can't do it. But God, you say, I have to have it. So therefore, I need it from you. And he says, good. I've been offering it for a long time. Receive my mercy. Receive my forgiveness. Receive what I have for you. And when I give it to you, you'll have a bunch to share with the people around you. Have you ever heard someone say, but for the grace of God, there go I you got to keep that in mind, folks, on a daily basis. you got to renew your mind. you got to daily put your flesh back on the altar every day and remind, renew your mind to who it is that you are. It's easy for us, unfortunately, as Christians who have been Christians for a long period of time to lose sight of all that we've been forgiven. I've just realized recently that Job started to trust in his own righteousness. Job himself, who was such an amazing guy, and when all that trouble came on his life, he didn't charge God with wrongdoing. He didn't sin with his lips. Yet as you keep reading, when you get to chapter 32, Elihu shows up and says in verses 1 and 2, the Bible says he was angry with Job because he trusted in his own righteousness. And then it says in verse 2, he justified himself rather than God. Listen to the words of Job in chapter 31, right before that section I just quoted to you. In chapter 31, we have the famous passage where Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes never to look on a virgin. And he goes on in that passage and says, I've never taken a bribe. I've never done this. I've never done that. And what happened to Job was, even though his righteousness was from God, he had lived righteously so long that he actually accidentally started trusting in his righteousness instead of the righteousness of God. 
And he actually started to condemn God with what he was doing in his life and justify himself. And he was trusting in, I've been good. Now, Job was right, and all the things that were happening weren't because of sin in his life, but it also manifested a sin where he had started to trust in his own righteousness. Folks, uh, God then showed up and said, hey, you want to compare yourself to somebody? Compare yourself to me. And of course, Job says, I think I'm done talking. I think it'd be good for all of us on a daily basis to be reminded of the fact that when you were lost, you were guilty as if you broke it all. Remember, we've already looked at that. James chapter 2, verse 10. If you're able to keep the whole law, yet stumble at just one point. You're guilty as if you broke it all. And I think it's a daily reminder for us as we renew our minds every day and say, Lord, I want that mercy that you have. I, want, I, des- I don't deserve it, but I want to receive it. May I be willing to share it with the guy that blows by me on the highway. May that person know your mercy as well. And if you want to show it through me, Show it through me. Let's go to the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Don't miss this. Only the pure in heart will ever see God and enjoy His presence. Only the pure in heart are ever going to see God and enjoy His presence. We're in trouble then, aren't we? Haven't we already been dealing with all this in the Beatitudes here? Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who grieve over the fact that they're sinners, those hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, is there anyone pure in heart in and of themselves? So who's going to see God? <laughs> Only those who have acknowledged their sinful condition, they're poor in spirit, grieved over the fact that they're poor in spirit, mourned over the fact they're poor in spirit, hungered and thirst for righteousness, which comes from outside of them, received His mercy... And passed it on. These are the ones who are going to be the pure in heart. But I want you to listen to me as I share with you some scriptures. Because we need to not just say, oh good, I'm pure in heart. Thank you, Lord. No, no, no. The scripture actually shows in the same way as we just looked at with the merciful. Those who are pure in heart will be manifested by their pure living. I'm going to let, you see, let the scripture speak. This isn't Jim talking. This is the scripture speaking. Those of us who are pure in heart will be known to the world by our... Righteous living. We've been made pure in heart, but are we there yet fully? No. Is it fully manifested itself? No. The Bible says we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul says, forgetting what is behind. I've strained toward what is ahead. I, I, I don't, I'm not content with where I'm at in my walk with the Lord. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm not content. I want all that God has for me and all that he wants to produce in me between now and when he takes me home. So go to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 14. By the way, you're about to see the scriptures all starting to overlap with our beatitudes for tonight. Strive for peace with everyone. Does anybody know what the next beatitude is? Blessed are the peacemakers. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness and for holiness with without which no one will see the Lord. We're to be striving to be at peace with everyone, and we're to be striving for holiness. Wait a minute. Why am I striving for holiness if I've already been declared holy? Why does the scripture say be holy because I'm holy when I'm already holy? Oh, you're holy, but you're not holy. You're declared righteous, but you have not been made. Well, let's just put it this way. You've been made holy, 
So you can go into the presence of God, yet at the same time, that holiness that you have needs to make it to your flesh. Needs to make it so the world can see it. Go to Revelation 21. Look at verses 1 through 8. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And boy, we can't wait for that day. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm, the, I'm Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, this has always been a hard thing for Bible scholars to wrestle with. That's why the book of Hebrews has caused so much confusion to some people because of the fact that there's so many places that talk about the security of our salvation, that we're sealed by God, and as we already read tonight, that our salvation is kept in heaven for us, who by faith are being shielded by God's power. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, that you also, who, when you heard the word of truth, you were marked as a seal, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a deposit, a guarantee of our inheritance. The Bible is very, very clear that those of us who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ, who have received His Spirit, as the seal, the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, are guaranteed that we're going to be in heaven. We cannot lose that salvation. Yet, throughout the scriptures here, even in the book of Revelation, when he's describing the new heaven and the new earth, there are these warnings, these cautions about, oh, but these people aren't going to make it. And there are those who take those warnings to make it sound, and they say, try to twist the scripture to make it sound like, well, you could lose that salvation that you've been given. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that Jesus said, I will lose none of those the Father's given to me. Then why the warnings? Listen closely. It's because the Bible also teaches us that there's going to be Judases among us all the time. There's going to be, when the harvest, there's going to be weeds among the wheat. Actually, Jesus himself even said, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any parable when he talked about the weeds and the wheat? Folks, we need to understand that there's always going to be among us the seed that falls on the rocky soil. The seed that falls on the thorny soil, not real salvations, fools us all. The question is, stop looking at your brother, because it was not for us to determine whether or not I think you're saved or not. That's not for us to determine. But allow the Spirit to speak to your heart. By the way, this isn't a message of fear, because the Bible actually says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, that His Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're His children. I'm not talking about wondering if you're saved. If you're lost, the Holy Spirit will show you and you'll know. Too many preachers are making money out there today trying to make everybody doubt their salvation and get rebaptized so they can pad the numbers of the church. Listen to me. I'm not talking about questioning whether maybe you're, maybe you're lost. If you're lost, you'll know. But the Bible does say that the evidence of those of us who have truly been born again will be that we are merciful, 
will be that that purity that God has given us when he's given us our new heart will begin to manifest itself in holy living over time. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, you'll see it again. Then the angel showed me the river of the river of water of li- the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. By the way, there's time in heaven. The leaves of tree of the tree were for healing, the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads and night. Will, no, will be no more. They'll need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Did anybody notice in the midst of all that something that was said there? Look at verse 3. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, that definitely, that's part of it. No, look at verse 3. No longer will be anything accursed. Again, the Bible keeps talking about the difference between those of us who are His and those of us who aren't. These passages that we read today are tied to holy living. This is, like I said, the only evidence of those who are truly born again and have been made pure. Now, I'm not saying that you can't ever sin. The Bible teaches that when those of us who do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. First John chapter 2, John says, I write to you, little children, that you don't sin. But if we do sin, talking to believers, we have an advocate with the Father and thank God for His mercy and thank God for His grace on a daily basis. Yet at the same time, the Bible does say that those of us who are truly born again will not make a practice of sinning. 1 John chapter 5 talks about it. 1 John chapter 3 talks about it. Those of us who are truly born again won't make a practice of sinning. We won't be content with that. We won't think it's okay. There's a lot of teachers out there today that talk about the grace of God and they say, you're so forgiven, you can just go sin. It's not what the Bible teaches. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 3. And then verses 4 through 10. 1 John chapter 3. By the way, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Look at verse 1. Is John writing to believers or non-believers? Pretty obvious, isn't it? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. All these people over the years say, well, I don't think John was writing in 1 John to the believers. Oh, yeah, I think he was. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Do you see it? We're going to get to how we purify ourselves when He's the one who's made us pure. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. I just want you to see the Scripture says, if you really are a child of God, you're striving. You're going to be striving for purity on a daily basis. Keep reading. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever doesn't practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who doesn't love his brother. Oh, by the way, um, if you read that and you allowed the Spirit to speak to you, good. If you read that and all of a sudden all these people that weren't living the way you think they ought to be living came to your mind, that's not good. Because we have a tendency sometimes to read that and think, oh, what about that? Joe, he's not living as he ought to be. He might not be saved. If you even go down that road, you forgot that whole merciful section again. We need to go back. But the thing is this. You remember the passion, the movie, The Passion of the Christ years ago that came out? First off, let me just say, as much as everybody said, oh, it was too bloody. Actually, it wasn't bloody enough. Because at the end of the movie, while he was on the cross, you could still recognize the actor who played Jesus. The Bible says he was marred beyond human recognition. But as bad as it was, even though it wasn't bad enough, the one thought that I walked out of the movie theater with was this. If Jesus went through all that to take away my sin, why are there certain ones that I still want to hang on to? I was convicted by the Holy Spirit about certain sins in my life that I still kind of treasured. Folks, let me just tell you, we all still sin. Remember, says he doesn't sin, he's a liar, and the truth's not in him. We all struggle with sin. It's in our flesh, and it will be until the day we die. Yet, if you're okay with it, if you've convinced yourself, well, I'm only human, and you know what, I'm, thank God I'm forgiven, and, and you've convinced yourself you're okay, listen closely, only the pure in heart are going to see God. And anybody that really understands they're a child of God is going to strive for purity. They're going to strive for peace and holiness, because without such, no one will see God. I know this much, when I sin, and I still do, I don't like it. And by God's grace, I'm seeing him give me victory in some of these areas that I used to treasure I don't anymore. I'm not there, but I'm getting there. And hopefully you are as well. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 3 through 11. Listen closely to what the scripture says. His, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He's granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Let me lay the foundation of what He just said. God, because you're saved, because the Spirit's in you, He's already given you everything you need for life and godliness. You don't need a second baptism. You don't need a special person to lay hands on you. When you got born again and baptized in the Spirit, that's when the Spirit of God was put in you and you were put in Him, you're swimming in God. In that day, John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus says, you're 
going to know that I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the Father. You are baptized in the Spirit when you were born again by God. At that moment, you received everything you need for life and godliness. You've received all these great and precious promises so that through believing the promises of God after salvation, you can partake in the divine nature and the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead that lives within you. You have already received it and you can live this holy life if you understand how to live by faith after your salvation. So we've already received all this. For this very reason, don't sit on your backside and be happy. That's what he says. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. For in this way, they'll be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There it is again. The encouragement and the warning. The encouragement for those of us who have received His Spirit, everything you need is yours. Now, you need to put into practice what you've been given. You need to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. You need to actually live out what has been given to you. Oh, and by the way, as you try to, you'll either experience His power and His promises being experienced, or you'll find out, I tried it and it didn't work. And you'll realize you don't have His Spirit. That's why he says there's two groups he talks to here. There are some that they're content with where they are, and they are born again. They are saved. God, he's he going to keep his promise. If he gave you his spirit, he'll never take it away. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But those people are content with just that's enough for me. I'm just happy to go to heaven. The Bible says those people are nearsighted and blind. They don't realize all that they've been given. They're just content with the little they have, and that's not great. Then he also goes on and says, but if you go and practice these qualities... You'll never fall. Who are the people who are going to fall? The people that never were. Well, the best way I can explain it to you is you got two guys that are washing windows on the side of a skyscraper. One of them's got that safety belt tied to the, uh, the whatever you want to call it, the metal equipment he's using there, the, and the thing he's being lowered down by. The other one's not. They're both there. Something happens and that thing falls a little bit or tilts. Two of them are going to go down, but one's only going to go a little bit. The other one's going to go the rest of the way. Who's the one that's going to not fall fully? The one who's been connected and being held on to, the one that's been saved. And folks, it's not our job to figure out who's saved and who's not, but you've got to understand there's no accident that when Jesus came down from the mountain after spending a night in prayer and he designated 12 of them to be the apostles, one of them never was one of them, and Jesus knew it from the beginning, and God had him choose Judas to be one of the apostles to be an evidence of this truth that the church needs to understand. And so I say to you tonight, let the scripture speak. If your calling and your election is sure, thank God for it and get serious about letting that truth that's within you be manifested. If you're a child of God, say, God, I want to look like you. I want, to, I want people to know that I'm your child. 
So you're merciful. I want to be merciful. You're patient. I want to be patient. I was on the golf course the other day with this guy, and he, he I don't know if he's a believer or not, it's between him and the Lord. But he made this statement. He said, uh, I've got to work on my patience. And I told him, good luck. <laughs> By the way, golf will test your patience as well. But secondly, I said, I've come to realize I can't produce patience anymore. But it's one of the evidences that God's within me. And as I trust in the Lord, he produces it. So I've stopped trying to get more patient. And I've allowed God to produce it in me. Now, he had no idea what I was talking about. But that's okay. Remember, though, the same God who gave you righteousness through faith will produce his righteousness and purity in and through us on a daily basis. How? I'm going to read you this question again. The same God that gave you righteousness through faith will produce his righteousness and purity in and through us on a daily basis. How? Okay, by leading us to be submitted by the Holy Spirit. But I'm, I'm going to read it to you one more time. The same God who gave you righteousness through faith will produce his righteousness and purity in and through us on a daily basis. How? Faith. By faith. You have to believe it. We've been granted these great and precious promises. And you need to believe them. That he who began the good work and you will finish it. If you understand that he who began the good work and you will finish it, you won't get up tomorrow and say, I'm going to try to do better. The author, he's the author and the finisher of our faith, the perfecter. When you understand that it's God who gave you righteousness, he's the one who's going to have to produce it in you because you still can't. Even though you're pure, you can't live pure unless you let Jesus. And the only way that happens is by faith. We've been taught, you can't save yourself. Receive this gift of salvation by faith. And we do. And then we've been told, now that you're saved, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And we've been trying to serve the Lord in our own strength. And finally, after years of what I considered success as a pastor, being used by God to have churches grow, preaching on the radio, all this stuff, traveling around. I came to a point 15 to 16 years ago where I was done. Oh, I had tried my hardest to be the best Christian. I knew I was going to heaven when I died. I never doubted that for a second. But I literally said, Lord, if this is all there is to the Christian life, take me home. I'm done. I'm tired of sitting in restaurants watching people laugh and wishing I could laugh. I'm tired of using, hearing this word joy in the Bible but having no idea what it is. Lord, I am tired. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never had a drink of alcohol except for in the wrong communion plate in the Lutheran church. <laughs> and NyQuil. I was a virgin when I got married at 25. I've never taken a drug. And Lord, I've striven to be pure. I've striven to be, I've been hard, working hard for you as a pastor. And I'm miserable. I know I'm saved, but why am I so miserable? And God asked me this question. He said, you're working really hard to be a good Christian, aren't you, Jim? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, how's that working out for you? I said, it's not. And he began to teach me what I hope you'll understand is that it's God who began the good work in Jim, and he never asked Jim to finish it. Go to Galatians chapter 3. See, I could easily take this whole message on mercifulness and, and on purity and preach 
to your flesh and try to be the Holy Spirit and convict you of sin and try to get you to do better. I could even have an altar call here and have you guys weeping, but it would do no good. All I need to do is point you back to the one who began the work and teach you how to trust in him to finish it. Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Folks, I want you to hear this. You want purity? You want confirmation of the fact that God's sealed you by his spirit? Believe that he who began the good work and you will finish it and ask him to do it. That's how you got saved, isn't it? You heard the message of salvation that all you had to do was believe that you were a sinner, that you were separated from God, that he loved you so much that he already paid for your sins and he sent his son to die for you. That if you would just trust that Jesus is in this life, his death on the cross, his power of his resurrection would give you righteousness and eternal life. If you just trusted him, you did something stupid or seemingly stupid to the world. The Bible calls it the foolishness of preaching. You said, okay, I'm not trusting in anything to get me to heaven. I'm putting all my eggs into one basket, and that basket is Jesus. Jesus, would you trust, I trust you as my Savior. Would you give me your righteousness? I'm by faith believing that what you did would cover me, and you trusted him as your Savior, did you not? And he did something that day where he erased your sin, put his spirit within you, and unfortunately, we've not been taught the rest. Now we have to learn to live by faith every day. Not whether or not we're already saved. That's a wonderful thing. But now I want all that I have received to be manifested. And by the way, God's not in a hurry. Don't put him on a timeline and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. You got a week to get this area of my life fixed. No, 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 no. He gets to do it in his time, in his way. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Everything I just said to you was here in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, or in the same way in which you've received Jesus as Lord, walk in Him. Do you see it? Rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Then it goes on and says, don't let anybody take you captive by all this other stuff, and telling you you, gotta, you can't eat this, and you can't do that, and you, gotta, you can't... You know, you can't eat out on the Sabbath and all these kind of things. Remember all that stuff we were taught when we were young? We got, to, we got to observe Lent and all these different things. By the way, there's a wonderful book by A.W. Tozer called uh, uh, The Pursuit of God. And in chapter 10, he deals with this whole misconception of how some things are sacred and some things are secular. Everything is sacred. Everything's to be done to the glory of God. Whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. And then he goes on into great detail. And here's an older preacher who actually said this in chapter 10 of his book, The Pursuit of God. He said, we were then taught to there, there are certain days that were more holy than others. And there's Good Friday and all this stuff. And you go, oh, you better be at church on Good Friday. I know I'm about to make a bunch of you all upset, but listen closely. He then said, we didn't know when we were well off. God gave us the freedom to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Without realizing it, the church started adding all these other requirements. How many of you ever felt guilty because you didn't go to the Good Friday service? We, without realizing it, little by little, have added 
all these things that we're supposed to do to make us righteous before God. No, you've been made righteous. You received him by faith. Now walk in him. Now he's going to be working on some stuff. There's going to be some changes in your life. But when you trust him to do it, he does it in his way and his, his power. Colossians chapter 3. You're in chapter 2. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 4. If you have then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now look at verses 5 through 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Did you see that again? Let me read that. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. It's a process that you're in the middle of. Anybody willing to testify that it's happening, but you ain't done yet? I am. But it's happening. It's happening. And then he goes on. There's not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all and is, is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also you must forgive. And above all those, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now let me ask you this question. That's a lot of stuff to do, isn't it? Don't lie, get away from the sexual morality and passions of our flesh and all this stuff. Well, how are you going to do that? You've got to stay in the Word. Be believe that He is the one. That's, these areas that the Spirit of God brings to your conviction, you need to be willing to say, Lord, I can't make this change. You've made me new, but you said you will, and I believe you will, and so I'm going to... Trust that you will, and I'm going to walk away. But you're the one that's going to make the change in me. Years ago, when uh, our daughter Elise, who isn't here tonight so I can talk about her, um, was about four years old, we were staying in a, uh, uh, a hotel off of 192 as we were going to Disney as a family. And another family, friends of ours, uh, were staying in a campground nearby. And uh, they came over for dinner. We had one of those suites that you had a kitchen in it. And so we had Kentucky, sorry, shake and bake chicken. And I still remember. I remember every meal. I don't remember a whole lot of stuff that's happened, but I remember every meal I've ever had. We had shake and bake chicken. That's 18 years ago. And uh, the Capels brought over big chocolate chip cookies for dinner. 
And the kids all being little were all excited to see those chocolate chip cookies. And we explained to them, even though they gave us a plate full, you only allowed one tonight. We can give another one tomorrow. Tonight you only get one. Well, of course, you, the, the kids choose. You want to take it now or take it later? Of course, you know what they're going to do. Take it now because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so they uh, all ate their cookie. The night's over. And we're all saying goodbye to the Capels as they head out of our uh, little uh, hotel suite there to go back to their campground. And as we're all saying goodbye to them and their three kids, I start counting and I realize we've only got two kids here at the door. We're missing one. And I look around and in the corner of our hotel room is Elise. And she's doing this. She was in the corner just while we were all distracted at the door, snacking on that second cookie that she wasn't allowed, hoping that she could get it done before we turned around. And in her four-year-old mind, if I do it in the corner, they won't see it happening. Of course, when she turns around, there is chocolate all over her face. I said, Elise, what are you doing? Nothing. Sat her down with her chocolate face that she doesn't know she has. And I said, honey, did you just eat a second cookie when you were told not to? Yes. I said, honey, you knew that we said you only allowed one. Yes. Then what happened? And her answer, folks, to this day will be one of the most powerful things I could ever preach in my life. She starts to bawl and she says, daddy, I knew I wasn't supposed to take the cookie but when I walked by, they were too strong for me. <laughs> Boy, that'll preach, won't it? <laughs> Let me tell you, apart from Jesus, everything's too strong for you. I said, girl, you just said something to your daddy and that we all need to know and hear. Yes, everything's too strong for us. And we need Jesus to give us the victory. And that's why you gotta get up tomorrow morning, as Romans 12, one and two says, and offer your body, you offer your flesh on the altar as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable service. And you need to daily say, Lord, you saved me, thank you. And by your grace, I am saved. But I don't wanna ever think that I'm better than anybody. I don't wanna ever build myself up by tearing someone else down. And Lord, there are things that you want to produce in me today, and I want you to do them. And Lord, I only want what you have for today. I don't want tomorrow. I want today. And you do your work in me, because you said you'd finish it, and I believe you will. And he'll bring some things to your mind, and you need to confess and agree. You're right, that's wrong, and give them to him, and walk away from them, trusting that he will do that powerful work. And one day... Someone will say to you, have you ever looked at a virgin? And you can say no by the grace of God. Have you ever taken a bribe? And you can say no, but only by the grace of God. Have you ever done these things? And you can say no, not since I learned to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be living the right way, but you'll know it wasn't you. It was him. I love you. And we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.